It is good to see you all this morning. Um, if I haven't had a chance to introduce myself personally, uh, my name is Jason. I have the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at Solid Rock, uh, leading with a uh, fantastic staff, um, leading among a fantastic group of elders and serving a church family like none other. So if you're new to the family, um, we do welcome you here today and, uh, and excited about what God is doing in the lives of our church. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we're going to pick up the story of Jesus' baptism, and we're going to talk ultimately about what it means to walk in the Father's pleasure. What does it mean to find your identity and to live in the pleasure of your heavenly Father? And there's a beautiful example here from Jesus' own baptism from Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we put um, black hardbacks under the seats, so around you should be one if you want to grab a copy of that. Uh, and we'll get started in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all, or all righteousness. Then he consented. Verse 16, and when Jesus had baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we're going to start in verse 13, and really before we get into the relationship of the Son and the Father, we're going to look at John for just a moment. Try to imagine John knowing that he has a mission and a purpose from God, but not fully knowing what that mission and purpose is. At this point, he knew enough to know that God had called him to go out in front of crowds of people and tell them to prepare their hearts for the one who is to come. And as a symbol of their repentance, he was baptizing them in the river. And now he's at a crossroads because Jesus has now entered into the story and the mission doesn't change, but it becomes more clear to John what God is actually calling him to do. And so on first appearance, he sees Jesus come into the water. He feels unworthy, unworthy to even stoop down and tie, untie the sandals of Jesus. At first he resists. But then as Jesus explains to John, we must do this to fulfill the Father's good plan. He then shifts his heart, his mindset shifts, he consents, he submits to the perfect plan of the Father. So what we see first is a crossroads between what John believes to be good, right, and reasonable. A crossroads between what, what seems right to John and what God has planned. You see, the crossroads of our lives are not only between good and evil. Oftentimes, the crossroads of our lives is between what seems good, right, and reasonable and what God wants to happen. The place where our dreams, our ambitions collide with the mission and the purpose of God for our lives. See, there's a difference between living for your own dreams, and living for a cause that's bigger than you. Living according to your own dreams means that you make it up as you go, right? 
Living according to your own dreams means that achieving those dreams is contingent on simply how hard you work, how focused you stayed, right? And how many uh, good fortunes may come your way. But to live for a cause bigger than yourself means that you let go of, you abandon your role, your purpose, and ultimately your fate into the hands of another. And so now here John is at this crossroads where he thinks about all the things that God's called him to do that are good and right, and he realizes, in order to fulfill God's plan, I need to be willing to submit to what God thinks is best. There's a uh, beautiful expression of, of this, I believe, in one of Paul's prayers over the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 3, Paul writes out a prayer for the Ephesians. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a bold prayer. It's theologically sound. He's praying for big, godly things. But I love how he ends this prayer over the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 3, starting at verse 20, he ends his prayer like this. Now, now having said all that, having prayed all that, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. After having prayed it big and bold and right on the money, God, do this big work among us. He says, now, reminding the church, we believe in a God who is able to do even more than we could imagine, we could dream up ourselves. You see, when we get to that crossroads between our dreams and ambitions and the mission that God and the purpose that God has for our lives, we're not selling out for something less. We're, we're trading in something. We're trading in for something better. And so to be at that place in your life where you know God is calling you to surrender a dream for his purpose and his mission is really a, an uptrade for something that's more and it's better. The mission of God is more exciting than anything you could dream up for yourself. The mission that God has for you is more fulfilling than any dream you could conjure up. The mission of God is more rewarding and it provides more joy, provides more meaning, and yes, even more security. Because the security we have knowing we're in God's plan is eternal security rather than temporary security. Let's talk for a minute about why it's foolish to simply let our lives be led solely based on our own dreams. Think about it. Um, I was visiting with somebody this past week, and I was acknowledging that I'm 38 years old, and I made this expression. I feel like I'm probably halfway done, more or less, right? Within five years of being halfway done. I may be past halfway. I may be about to be halfway done. And the reality is we don't know how many years God has given us, but we know there's a temporal time frame to it, right? God may give us 70, 80, 90. My stepdad's mother passed away at 102, maybe 100 years. But ultimately, my perspective as a human being is temporal. I love to pay attention to older folks when they talk. I love to hear about how mind shift changes from youthfulness to a place of maturity. When a person's looking back, they know they're past the halfway mark, and they're looking back at life, and they're reassessing what is most important. More times than not, you hear things like, I wish I had. 
I wish I had spent less time, right, pursuing my career, my hobby, my dreams, my ambitions. And I wish I would have spent more time with the ones I love and things that really matter. Well, that tells me something about life. You know what that tells me? It is foolish for me at 12 years old to try to dream up my own purpose. Well, think about that. That's a very popular American mindset. We tell our children, dream about what you want to be, and anything you want to be is possible if you stay focused and you worked hard enough. And so as young children, we dream about what we want to be and what we want life to look like. And then what happens? Life happens, right? Reality sets in. And so many of us become discouraged by our dreams. So many of us trade in our dreams for a bigger version or a newer model, and then we begin pursuing that dream. And then when that one doesn't work out, we change to another dream. Now, in no way are we talking about a life that is void of ambition or goals or even dreaming. What we're talking about is a life that submits everything to the purpose of God. Understanding that it's not trading down, it's trading up. And what God has for you is so much better and bigger than what you can dream up for yourselves. Living your life solely based on your dreams uh, doesn't work because of conflicts that are going to arise. So I was 27 when I got married. I had been dreaming for 27 years about what I thought life looked like. Fatherhood, parenthood, marriage, career. But guess what? My wife had been dreaming too. And it didn't take us very long into the marriage. We realized there was a conflict of dreams. Right? By the way we spend money. By the way we don't spend money. By the way we invest our time. Each one of us was, was trying to navigate or grab the steering wheel of life, as you, as you will, and steer it towards the dream we were after. And so we had conflict. Until we both learned what? To submit and to acknowledge that God has a purpose for both of us. I see it play out so oftentimes in marriage counseling where there's conflict. Oftentimes there's a collision of dreams. What one person thinks should be going on versus what another person thinks should be going on. And two people still fighting for that dream that they've held on to since a little child. What I believe we're taught by the gospel is that we can trade in our dreams and trust that what we get in return is exponentially better. That as a married couple, you can submit your ambitions and dreams and take up a beautiful purpose and mission from God. How about parenting? See, you have dreams for your children, don't you? I know some of you do because you can tell. But guess what? Your little little people in your family, they're going to have dreams too. And guess what's going to happen? If we solely live our lives based on dreams, there's going to be conflict. Because what you want for your children, first of all, let's just know this. It's probably not going to be what they want for themselves. Right? Also understanding that we have a heavenly father that has intimately and, and very creatively knit together your children in your womb, moms, in the womb of your wife, dads. God was involved in every part of putting together their DNA that they would come out and beautifully reflect his image in a very unique way. And God, the heavenly father, has a purpose for your kids and my kids And I have to be cautious that I don't raise my children to chase after my dreams. 
but to raise my children to look for the dream and the ambition of the heavenly father and to understand that it is better than anything I want for them. I love how Jesus doesn't just say, no, John, this is what we're going to do, but he invites John into the mission. I love how he words it when John says, I don't think we should do this. Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill. You notice he didn't say, John, you have to do this because this is what God wants me to do. He said, no, no, John, I'm going to invite you into this. We must do this because it's what God wants of us right now. Us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John did what? He consented. He submitted. He traded in his mindset of what he thought was right and good for something better. If you're taking notes with us today, the first statement is this. Walking in the Father's pleasure means trading my dreams for his mission. Trading my dreams for his mission. Now, in no way are we saying, so we hear that, we think, oh, okay, so I just need to abandon everything. Turn in my notice tomorrow at work, just quit everything and wait for God to show up and give me my orders. God's already given us our orders, right? Engaging in the mission of God doesn't mean that I abandon my family, abandon my post as a parent, abandon my career, abandon my jobs. It means that I engage in these things with a different perspective. Engaging in parenting should be engaging in the mission of God. God has trusted us who are parents with these beautiful, little, ornery, sometimes disobedient treasures, right? And he's given us this mission that we can't abandon to raise them to know and love him. Engaging in marriage should be engaging in the mission of God. It breaks my heart when um, I've seen certain scenarios where like, Two people are struggling in marriage, and one of them finally finds God and gets excited about God, but the other one still isn't there yet. And it breaks my heart to see the one who's excited about God run off and leave their significant other simply because they're not quite ready yet. Rather than engaging in the mission and realizing that here first, right? My mission is here first with my wife and in my family and with my children. Not out there first, here first. Parents, engaging in parenting is engaging in the mission God has given you. Engaging in your career should be engaging in the mission that God has called you to. It's not a separate list of things that you have to go do. It's a mindset, like we see John here. It's a mindset of understanding God has called you to mission in the life that you're living right now. At times, that means changes, but that isn't always implied. It's it's an understanding that... This career God has given me is not about fulfilling my dreams. This career, this job, this vocation is about me being on his mission in this career. I love that Jesus invites John to the mission. I love that he invites us into the mission as well. Jesus is inviting you into his mission. Doing so means that we need to be willing to submit, lay down, our own ambitions and dreams, trusting that his is better, trusting that he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask for. If you're taking notes, again, walking in the Father's pleasure means trading my dreams for his mission. Now, 
in verse 16, we're going to pick this back up. And the story shifts from John, from what Jesus is calling John to, to what ultimately God is doing in the story. Verse 16 says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. So John is out in the Jordan River uh, baptizing people. Jesus comes out into the water with John. John consents to the plan of the Father and says, okay, we'll do this. If this is how God wants it to take place, this is how we'll do it. It doesn't make sense to me, but I trust that it's God's plan. He baptizes Jesus, and look at what happens I think parents can probably relate to this. Parents who've had children who've been baptized, that moment when they come up from the water and your heart opens up, and just joy and satisfaction and fulfillment and knowing that a milestone has been, an eternal milestone has been accomplished. Look at the heart of the Father here. Not only did God's heart open up, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven says this beautiful phrase, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus was walking according to the pleasure of his father. Now, what I love about the story we won't have time to track down today is Jesus knew the mission he was on from the beginning. Matter of fact, this baptism is on the onset of his public ministry. He hasn't called any disciples yet, hasn't healed, hasn't done any miracles, hasn't really taught publicly. He hasn't expressed to anybody, I'm going to the cross to die, yet he knows all these things about the mission God has for him, that it's going to be hard. It's going to, he's going to experience sorrow. We have verses in, in, the, in the gospel that, that describe that Jesus weeps and brokenness for those who are broken. It includes his own hardship and suffering. Yet, on, from the onset, Jesus knows that what the Father has is better. You see, here's an important part of understanding what it means to find your identity in the pleasure of the Father. Let's talk about the, the reverse of that. Finding our identity in the Father's pleasure rather than in our own dreams. Why is that important? If your identity, who you think you are, is built on what you dream up for yourself, what happens when the dream comes to a screeching halt one day? Right? The person who desires to be a professional athlete, make it to college, and then all of a sudden there's an injury. Okay? Well, as the dream falls, guess what happens to the identity? So does the identity. Finding your identity in the pleasure of, of the Father rather than your earthly relationships. Surely, we know enough about life to know that the best among us will let us down. And if your identity, who you think you are, is built upon an earthly relationship you have, what happens when there's turmoil in that relationship? Now there's turmoil in your identity. Because who you thought you were, are is being rattled and shaken. How about this? Finding your identity in the Father's pleasure rather than your own accomplishments. Now, nothing about that statement says we don't work hard and stay focused, right? Nothing about that says that we don't strive to do our best. But what it does say to us is our identity is not built upon 
our accomplishments. So that in those rare moments, when the accomplishment isn't achieved, right, and the accomplishment becomes shattered, that our identities don't shatter along with it. Finding our identity in the pleasure of the Father rather than, and this is a big one, even our own failures. Um, This is a fairly easy one to spot. When you're talking to somebody about the mission and the plan of God for their life, and you hear back from them, you don't understand how bad my past is. I'd like to think that God wants to use me, but you don't know all the things I've done, all the places I've been, right? And all the things I've said. So I think really for me, God just wants me to show up and and take a seat and watch the rest of you work. Like, I hear that. You know what I know immediately? That person is finding their identity in who they used to be. That's not who you are in Christ. Your identity is established. All things are made new. Finding our identity in the pleasure of the Father rather than our own failures. If you're taking notes with us today, walking in the Father's pleasure means finding my identity in the truth that God is pleased with me apart from my performance. It's critical. It's critical in understanding how God relates to me and parents. It's very critical in our role in the way we raise our children. Knowing that God is pleased with me apart from my performance. Let's make this practical for a minute and consider our own families and our own relationships, maybe even with our children. How do we do this? How do we help our children find their identity apart from their performance? I think it's incredibly important for you to extend the fact that you're pleased with your child separate from activities, report cards, end of the game scoreboards. Some real practical ways you can do this is make sure that your children never wonder if you love them. Dads, okay? Apart from performance, make sure that your children know no matter the score at the end of the game, You love them, and you're proud of them. You know what that means for us? It means expressing it when nothing is going on. One of the most powerful things I think you can do for your children, dads, is to tell them that you're proud of them when they're not doing anything. And I I hope it catches your your children off guard. Um, I'll never forget driving down the road wanting to live this way um, with my own children because I tend to pat them on the back when a job is well done and was driving down the road with our oldest Hudson and just was overwhelmed by God to say to him that I'm proud of him. And so I did. I said, Hudson, yeah, dad, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. And his response to be illuminated something. You know what he said to me? For what? I hadn't thought it all the way through. I didn't have a response initially. I had to think about it. And so I mustered up with the best words I could. Son, I'm proud of you because you're mine. Not for anything. Because you're mine. Because of who you are as my son. And I realized that that I need to lead my children to understand. I love them. I am proud of them apart from their performances. 
Does that mean we can't applaud when things go well? Absolutely. Just make sure our children's identity isn't staked upon impressing you with a straight-A report card. Right? If they find their identity in that, what happens when all of a sudden the A-plus becomes a B-minus? Identity is crushed. I love this about the story, too. I love that God initiates it, God the Father. Jesus didn't have to go before God and say, do you love me? But God the Father initiates. Moms and dads, especially dads, in raising your children, hopefully you're the first one to say it before your kids can ever say it back to you. But making sure that after they do grow up to learn how to say it back, you're, you're not just simply responding to them, but you're calling them to respond to you and initiating proactively your love for your kids. Saying it to them at random times, catching your kids off guard by how much you love them. Walking in the Father's pleasure means that I first have to find my identity in the truth that God is pleased for me apart from my performance. And then walking in the Father's pleasure means leading my family to find their approval in God, not me. My wife's identity can't be based on my approval, how well she impresses me or does what I've asked her to do. My wife's identity must be built on God's approval of her. Same is true for my kids, same is true for yours. We're going to look at one other short story from the Gospel of Luke. And so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're in Matthew, go to the right to Luke chapter 2. I'll set the story up before we read it. So here's the deal. Uh, Jesus is a young boy. He's 12 years old. Okay? Before baptism, before all this goes down. And he, he and his family had traveled to Jerusalem. And they were actually on their way home. And Mary and Joseph have one of those um, C minus... Uh, uh-oh moments in parenting. And most of you know what I'm talking about. It's that moment where you, you realize that you don't know where your kid is. Surely I'm not the only one, right? It's going to happen. And so Mary and Joseph are traveling back. One of them says to the other, where's, where's Jesus? And the other one says, but I don't know. I thought you had him. I don't have him. Where, where did you see him last? And so, right, the uh-oh moment, where is Jesus? Well, so they turn around and they head back to Jerusalem to find him. In Luke chapter two, we pick the story up with Mary when she first finds him. You know that moment where you're overwhelmed with um, relief and frustration? Uh, That's gonna come out as the word astonished here. And so it says in verse 48 of Luke two, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. It's not just a good astonished. And his mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And what we're going to find out that this is truly a crossroads moment for Mary and Joseph and their role to raise Jesus, not to follow their own dreams for him or their own ambitions for him, but to raise Jesus to follow his heavenly father's ambitions and dreams. I love this, the way this unfolds. Jesus responds in verse 49. He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Twelve-year-old son, mom and dad, didn't you know I would be on God's mission? Now, this is a crossroads, isn't it, parents? He's 12 years old. Well, that's fantastic, but I still have to feed you, right? 
I love that you're excited about God and you're following his plans for your life, but I still have to make sure that you're safe and that you, you make it home okay. And so look at what Jesus does. Verse 50 says, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them, but look at 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. What a beautiful imagery of parenting. Jesus, still submissive to his earthly parents, as God prepared his heart to follow the mission that God had for him. What a beautiful imagery of our role, parents. You see, our job isn't to raise our kids up to be all that they want to be, not because they won't think of good things, but because it's not good enough. Our job is not to raise our children to be what we want them to be. Like Mary and Joseph, most of us are C minus to B plus parents, right? Very few A plus parents in the room. Our job is to teach our children that God has something bigger and better for them and to raise them to look for that in life. And that when they come to crossroads, to realize that what God wants is better than what may seem right, good, or even reasonable at that moment. So, Jesus came down, he submitted to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's talk for a minute about where Mary and Joseph got it right. Because we find Jesus at his baptism, right? Fully released. Mary and Joseph aren't looking for him anymore. They've released him to go go follow his father's plan for his life. This is where they got it right. They knew their responsibility to raise their child, even though their child was displaying a desire to follow God's will. Ultimately, they led Jesus to follow God. If you're taking notes with us today, walking in the Father's pleasure means, for me personally, leading my family to joyfully trade their dreams for God's mission. Joyfully. Not begrudgingly. I'm not trading down here. And and this can come out in some of the most subtle ways, okay? Think about this morning getting ready to come to church. Was was the time that you spent with your family getting everybody ready and hair done and teeth brushed and everybody dressed and out the door, was was it tempered with joy and excitement and anticipation? Or was it tempered with frustration, lack of patience? You see, in the most subtle things in life, we teach our children what to be joyful about. As you come to crossroads in your own life, and maybe you find yourself at a place where whatever you were pursuing in life, whether it's a career, an idea, a dream, comes to an end. Do you teach your children how to see that as a good thing? That the next step into God's plan is better? See, walking in the Father's pleasure means leading my family to joyfully trade their dreams for God's mission. Now, Here's what I want to ask just on a personal level for maybe all of us to begin to evaluate. Um, and I know a lot of this seems you know, even more specifically geared to families and parenting, but really for each individual here, this applies. Think about this for just a moment. What is the source of your ambitions? Before we think about our kids or our marriages or anything else, what gets you out of bed in the mornings? What causes you to work hard? What is it that keeps you going when things get tough? 
Do you find yourself more motivated by your own dreams or by the mission God has for you? It's a tough question. Do you see yourself as someone with whom God is well-pleased? Or are you still someone trying to earn his favor? I love that God says this to Jesus at the beginning of the journey. And so out of understanding that God was well-pleased with Jesus, Jesus followed the Father. He didn't spend his life following the Father, hoping that one day he would hear this. Right? Making sure that we understand God is pleased in you. You can't do anything to impress God or earn more favor from him. He's pleased with you. Do you trust God enough? This is going to be challenging. Do you trust God enough when you find yourself at that crossroad to lay your dream down and to take up what he has for you? It's pretty risky. Let me ask it this way. Do you trust God enough to lead your family that way? That when whatever you're pursuing as a family, right, finds the end of its shelf life, whether it's a career pursuit, an idea pursuit, to where you would trust that what God has for your family is better than anything you could dream up for them. We must be reminded as Paul prayed, dream big things. For your family. Teach your children how to work hard to accomplish goals. Teach your children how to stay focused. Just don't teach them to find their identity in those things. Teach your children that while we do our best to think of how to spend this 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years of life, that God's perspective is bigger. That's how, that's how Paul ends that prayer. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think according to the power that work within us. Verse 21, Ephesians 3. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. His perspective is bigger. His perspective is better. Teach your children to work hard, to stay focused, and to dream. But teach them whose plan and purpose is to look for in life. I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to have a time of parent commitment. And so I just encourage you to bow with me now. And um, I don't know where this lands on you today. Um, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, and it just seems overwhelming that God could be pleased with you before you do everything, anything for him, I want you to know that's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to teach us. You can't do anything to earn God's favor. He's, he's earned it for you. And so to become a Christian today is to simply come to God in faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins. The Bible says if you believe that, truly believe it and trust it, in that moment you are saved and all things are made new. And God says to you, you're my son, you're my daughter, in you I am well pleased. But wait a second, God, I haven't done anything for you. For, for what? I'm well pleased because you're mine. Let's pray together. Um, Father, we do pray now that you would help these biblical truths to become evident in our lives. God, we pray you would solidify these things in our hearts, that we could begin 
this beautiful journey of finding our identity and what you think about us more than what the world thinks about us, more than, than we're able to accomplish or achieve for ourselves. God, teach us to work hard and to be ambitious, not to earn your favor, but because we already have it, God. Teach us, God, to live boldly with our lives, to give ourselves to a cause bigger than ourselves, and then teach us to lead our children to do the same. Thank you for being our heavenly father. Thank you for being pleased with us. God, may we respond to that good pleasure now.